0: Welcome to Healthcare Rounds. I'm your host, John Marchica, CEO of Darwin Research Group and Faculty Associate at the Arizona State University College of Health Solutions. Here we explore the vast and rapidly evolving healthcare ecosystem with leaders across the spectrum of healthcare delivery. Our goal is to promote ideas that advance the quadruple aim, including improving the patient experience, improving the health of populations, lowering the cost of care and attaining joy in work. Please send your questions, comments, or ideas for Healthcare Rounds to podcast at darwinresearch.com. And if you like what you hear, please don't forget to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get started.
1: Chris Johnson is the CEO of Landmark Health. Chris joined Landmark in 2017 as vice president and general manager responsible for launching the New England market. Most recently, Chris has served as Landmark's Head of Corporate Development, responsible for the company's growth strategy, strategic partnerships, mergers and acquisitions, and public policy. In this position, Chris played an integral role in spearheading Landmark's merger with Optum and leading the company's integration into Optum's home and community platform. Prior to Landmark, Chris was a principal at Innosight, a healthcare-focused growth strategy consultancy and co-founder of Predalytics, a healthcare analytics business. Chris holds a Bachelor of Arts in Economics from Harvard College and an MBA from Harvard Business School.
0: So uh, first, I'd like to say thank you, uh, Chris Johnson, for um, spending some time with me today. And uh, our listeners will appreciate this as well. Um, by now, I would have read in or somebody would have read in your bio so through the magic of podcast recording. Um, but just kind of in your own words, tell me a little bit about your background and what eventually uh, led you to Landmark Health.
2: Yeah, thanks, John. Um, I'm a, I guess I'm a a New Englander through and through. I grew up in a small town in Massachusetts um, and started my career in strategy consulting, had the great opportunity to work with a fellow named Clay Christensen, who was a professor at Harvard Business School, really famous for his theory of disruptive innovation. And
0: I'm familiar how innovation, with that.
2: Yeah. How innovation kind of can help really transform uh industries and the basis of competition in industries. Um, and I was introduced to him when I was still in college, um, not really yet knowing what I wanted to do, um, and had the opportunity to join his young consulting firm called Innocite. Um And had a great chance to get exposure to a number of industries, but primarily healthcare is really what caught my interest um, and got to work with a number of large um, life science organizations, medical device organizations, as well as um, increasingly, I was really drawn to uh, healthcare delivery, health systems, as well as payers. Um, Because one of the things I started to see was that healthcare is this really massive industry, as everyone knows but that the knowledge in it was often like very siloed. And I was kind of naive coming into this and didn't appreciate that everyone kind of knew their, their, a lot of folks kind of knew their part of the world really, really well. But as you think about it as a systems problem, if you really wanted to transform the industry, you, you needed to kind of think across silos um, and had the opportunity to do that at in a site where we're really helping organizations think about like, what does the future of healthcare look like? And how do you start to blur some of those lines? Uh, became very passionate about believing that the innovation we have in the United States or in life sciences and medical devices is is really outstanding. I mean we we are restoring life to individuals. we are able to rebuild parts of the human body that have um, uh, that have worn out with joints and other medical devices to you know rehabilitate hearts and other organs but we actually really struggled with how do we actually deliver care, leveraging new technologies? And so I got really interested uh, interested in that aspect of care delivery, um, where I didn't feel like there was as much innovation occurring. Um, and that's what drew me to to Landmark um, as an organization where I am today and have the great privilege to lead this organization, really thinking about what are new ways that we can deliver health care to um, populations that are uh, that struggle with their health in order to better meet their meet their needs.
0: Yeah, we, um, uh, at Darwin, we work with uh, primarily the life sciences companies, so pharma, biotech, uh, medical device. And I know that um, while they've been incredibly innovative, they they're, have a history of innovation, uh, discovering new products that save lives. I mean, the COVID example is the most recent of while really stepping up to the plate with the vaccine and treatments. Um, but I also know that they have struggled with innovative pricing models, for instance, and and how to, you know, this whole notion of value-based care, which we're gonna get to uh, in a moment. Um, so sticking with the the seniors theme, I pulled a quote. I remembered this, what was from a an ARP article several years ago, but they noted that the caregiver support ratio was more than seven potential caregivers for every person aged 80 and older. And that was back in 2010. Their estimate by 2030, that number was going to decline to four to one ratio and by less than three to one by 2050. So I just pulled that that quote to kind of get us dis- in a discussion about what are some of the issues um, and challenges with aging in the U.S. today? Yeah, it's um,
2: I, I tell our our organization a lot. Like, getting old in the United States is very hard. Um, uh, not only as we age, do we start to um, I guess we gain in wisdom, but then sometimes we lose some of our our ability to function independently. The, the infrastructure that we put around that in the 21st century so far has not really been friendly to the end consumer, um, the age, the aging adult. Um, we expect them to come into acute care facilities to receive a preponderance of their care. We've fragmented care right a, a, across these different subspecialties. And so mm-hmm. the notion of like that primary care quarterback, has, has a little bit gone away um, in this, in this day and age. Yes, primary care still exists, but in fee-for-service medicine, you're really kind of spending most of your time with, with the various specialists and they're not, they're not talking to one another. And then, and then finally, I think a a big challenge is that most people and and there's studies, you know, numerous studies out there, especially COVID. I think we, we started to see more of this. Most people want to age in their home. They want to age around their family. They want to age surrounded by family and friends and um, uh, today, we actually expect that folks will, you know, in the home maybe that they've lived for most of their life will actually up and move in the last couple of years of life to a foreign uh, living environment, like a senior living or senior living community or a, some sort of assisted living community. I think that's, that can be, it works for some, but I think for a lot of folks that, that that's the de novo way that we age can be can be quite challenging um and and is not really maybe what they deserve as as we approach uh end, end of life um so i i think a combination of those things make it quite challenging to age and and it for me it, the, the that kind of silver tsunami that you were talking about right you know there's around 60 million Medicare age, uh, individuals today growing to north of 80 million by 2030 in the United States alone, um, in a population where our, our own kind of growth rate has stagnated, um, uh, in the United States, it's going to create an, a, a, an environment where we need to really rethink how do we get those services to our parents, to our grandparents, to help them live really meaningful lives at the end, at, at as they're, you know, as they continue to age and we can't just throw more bodies at it. Cause to your point, there's not more bodies that we can keep doing that. We need to be right. innovative and differently about how to, how to surround folks.
0: Well, I know that my mom, before she passed, um, I mean, it's a 3000 square foot house in Illinois on a couple of acres. Um, a, a lot of work to do. There was no way that she was going to leave that house. There was just no way. I mean, and me living in Arizona, I would check in from time to time and fly out and see her. But at the end of the day, that was like her home that she'd been in since, I don't know, the late 60s. And the idea that she would and she she had um, uh, she had cancer and she she fought the good fight, um, did well for a few years. And then um, and then her kind of all suddenly she she declined. Um, but to your point, the idea of of putting her in a home just is not going to happen. And I mean, we talked about this uh, in our previous conversation. I kind of became a fan of home home and studying it uh, in this company years ago. Um, it just makes so much sense, you know. To it's cheaper to be treated in the home. Um, people prefer to have their, their healthcare in the home versus like, let's say in a hospital or in some kind of assisted living facility. Um, so I'm going to ask you sort of a, a broad question um, and uh, understanding we're going to get to your company and how it's different, but how would you assess sort of the, the state of the home healthcare industry today? Yeah, you know, I, I, um, today, a lot of Home healthcare is
2: delivered on what I'll call like a fee-for-service chassis, um, and I think a lot of healthcare is delivered on a fee-for-service chassis. But what I mean by that is, um, over the years, Medicare has put in place a reimbursement system for that delivers a vast majority of home health. And, and when I think of home health, I think under that moniker, traditionally you think of you know a, a skilled nursing service provided in the home or physical therapy provided in the home, generally for someone on the, on a post-acute um, moment, so after they've been maybe admitted to a hospital and then discharged home to help stabilize them um, back sure. in the community. Um, and the, 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 a lot of the dollars that flow that way today are not necessarily based on the outcomes that are generated, but more is someone clinically indicated according to kind of the CMS rules to receive those services in the home. And then you know, a, 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 an episode is opened up that you can charge a certain number of visits, and then once that kind of regulatory um, period is passed, is either recertified for more more care or closed off. But ultimately, no one's on the hook to think about did this actually prevent a hospitalization? This prevent a readmission to the to a hospital? We just kind of hope that it did, um, and I think that. Sure that's kind of the interesting thing about home health is we actually have a a really massive home health workforce today. I think the opportunity is to rethink how we deploy that and expand maybe our definition of how we think of, of care in the home or, or home health. Um, Thinking about personal care aids, thinking about family members, right? Like a vast majority of home health I'd argue is, is kind of not even accounted for in GDP. It's, it's the, the sons, the daughters, the spouses that are actually delivering that care, um, that care in the home. Uh, So I think it's a really big industry. I think it's one that's not been often thought of as kind of the most innovative part of healthcare, but with some of the trends you talked about earlier where people want to receive care in the home, I'd argue it can be one of the more effective ways to deliver care. I think there's a tremendous opportunity there.
0: So, um, I, I don't know if you had a chance to read this, um, but I, I pulled something that I wrote back in 2015 for health affairs, and I'm just going to read um, two little sections. So in the start, uh, starting this, I say in the current reality of home health care, if you're a home health provider and not part of a hospital or health system, your world looks something like this. A hospital discharge planner, your customer, chooses which agency will care for the homebound patient, also your customer. CMS, another customer, dictates how much you get paid and has recently decided to pay you less each year. You itemize every last thing you do and spend hours learning coding techniques to maximize how much you get reimbursed. And by the way, you have a hard time finding people to work for you at a wage where you can be profitable. So that was kind of my assessment back in in 2015. And then in the end, this is called Reinventing Home Health, and I want to get get your... uh, your assessment of what I wrote. In the end, I said, in my view, the successful home health enterprise of the future will resemble companies like the Visiting Physicians Association, but will offer much more. They will employ primary care physicians and nurse practitioners that make house calls, as well as licensed in-home caregivers from skilled nursing to private duty care. They will offer full service coordination of post-acute care and will manage challenging populations with chronic comorbid conditions They will integrate telemedicine by caring for patients in novel ways. They will deploy preventive technologies that keep patients safe and out of the hospital. They may even provide ancillary services like in-home diagnostic testing, prescription management, and clinical lab services. Finally, a thriving home health provider will align with ACOs, hospitals, and health systems for bundled services and risk-based contracts based on patient type, and they will be fully accountable for the quality of care delivered and will put their payment at risk if quality suffers. Your thoughts.
2: John, I almost think we should be switching spots in this this conversation. (laughs) Uh, There's something eerie, Um, uh, our our organization landmark, which I know we'll talk about a little bit more in a few minutes. We actually did our first house call, um, physician house call in October of 2014. So sometime while you were writing that document, Wow. I'd argue we were beginning to build and execute against a strategy that looked very, very similar to what you described in the second paragraph that you read to us. I, um, I think one of the really surprising things about your your piece um, is that the 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 that first that industry dynamic you described at the beginning, not not much has changed over the last six or seven years for what i would call like your traditional home health um industry Um, i think you are starting to see some um innovative disruptors doing kind of the second paragraph and i'd put landmark in that bucket but there are others across the country that i think are starting to think about how can we take medical value-based models to deploy care in the home that provide a much better experience for patients and their families provide better clinical care and outcomes and reduce overall costs to the healthcare system, because we're providing proactive care that prevents downstream really catastrophic costs when someone's calling 911 and being admitted into the hospital via the emergency department for really the exacerbation of conditions that if we just got upstream, you know, any primary care doc, or their teams could, surre- could, could really effectively treat that patient, keep them in place. It's, it's just, it's like baffling to me, again, like kind of that outsider perspective that I was talking about at the beginning, like it seems really simple to me, but it, it cuts against the grain of the way that healthcare has been delivered in this country over the last 30 or 40 years that I think is what makes it a challenge.
0: Yeah. Well, that's, it's um, interesting. Um, let's talk about landmark health. Um, and tell me a little bit about um, the company that you're leading and what makes it so different from um, traditional home health care. You know, when we first started talking, I was just uh, sort of the pre-interview. Um, I was just blown away at, at how different. And it, it actually encouraged me to go find this piece that I had written years ago. Because you're right. I don't think by and large the industry has changed all that much. Um you know, with the the major providers that you think of. So, um, how is uh, Landmark different?
2: Yeah. Um, so, at, at Landmark, we are a we're a medical group. Um, we provide in home comprehensive primary care services to seniors with serious illness. Um, so, think of our average patient being you know about eighty years old and has eight to nine chronic conditions. Um, and the, the care model that we deploy against them, this is going to sound like deja vu to, to like five minutes ago when you described your health affairs piece, is a, is a, it's a primary care, uh, you know, physician led um, uh, medical group that delivered all of our visits occur in the patient's home, however they define it, it could be their kitchen table, it could be at their sofa, could be at their bedside. Um, can be in a living community or folks who are in a single family home. We we meet the patients where they are um, and then provide that longitudinal care in the home. So we're often seeing our patients more frequently than they would normally see their PCP. Um, Our highest acuity patients might be seeing us once a month, sometimes even more frequently for periods of time if they really need that extra primary care to help stabilize a particular uh, episode. Um, And then we wrap around that other employed kind of advanced primary care capabilities. Um, we have employed behavioral health. We do 24 seven urgent care in the home. So imagine all of our providers actually carry like a like a mini kind of um, paramedic type of uh, capabilities in their trunks so they can administer uh, IV antibiotics and, and other, other uh, solutions to patients in their home if they need it for an acute, acute need. Um, we also surround that with uh, social, social care and SDOH uh, support. So a fully employed social work team that helps connect our, our patients with the right community resources that they need um, to help them stay in their home, whether that's food, whether that's you know housing insecurity that they're facing, senior loneliness, whatever it is that's going to really be necessary to help them stay in home and in, in their community. And then we're even able to wrap you know, clinical pharmacy, dietitians. Additional services, again, all in the pursuit of how do you help a patient have like really proactive care um, to stay in the home? And it's all geared towards what the patient wants, right? Like understanding for that 80 year old patient or, or, you know, John, like you gave the example of your, 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 your mother, um, uh or mother or grandmother i forget i apologize my mom yeah your mom mom. your mom like like how did they want to measure like what was meaningful for them and then how do we craft the care plan around that for some folks it might be how do you go to your your grandchild's wedding for others it's like i just like to be able to like walk down my driveway and get my mail every day um for others it's to be able to go you know Go to the local coffee shop and sit there um, and read the newspaper with friends and, and 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 communicate whatever whatever that is. That's really going to be meaningful. How do we how do we really tailor the care to get there? Um, and then the most important thing is we wrap this clinical model around a a financial model, a value based care model that allows us to say, hey, that all sounds really nice, but it also sounds really expensive, right? Sending physicians. Yeah, into a home, Um, all these things in the home. That sounds, that sounds really nice. Um, What we're able to do is we work, our primary customers are are, um, either Medicare Advantage health plans or um, provider groups that are at full risk for their Medicare beneficiaries. Um, And we strike full risk uh, arrangements with those, with those partners. They help us identify the folks who have the highest chronic disease burden And then we guarantee them financial savings um, in like a a true full risk arrangement Um, and and the way that we get so confident is that is that this population they just use the hospital way too frequently for exacerbations and underlying um, medical needs that could be much better managed in the home it's just that the traditional system hasn't figured out how to do that or isn't financially incentivized to figure out how to do that so really the way our value creation happens is we're able to bring hospitalizations down about 20 to 25% days in skilled nursing facilities down 20 to 25%, all by getting proactive primary care to the folks who really, really need it and would benefit from it.
0: Wow. And I, and I wonder how much of a benefit sort of the, um, I will call it non-medical uh, interventions, like you mentioned dealing with loneliness, or if the person just wants to spend some time in the coffee shop every day, like what kind of health benefits that, that just by addressing those needs um, that, that these people uh, can achieve.
2: Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. We don't have a, a, we haven't been able to figure out how to break it apart, John, as an, as an organization, but one thing that we hold true to like really believe is that it's absolutely essential Um, that a lot of the, there is like the underlying physiology of, of getting older, but folks also have to feel like they're living meaningful days, right? Like that's otherwise what's, what's, what's the point? Um, like, like we want really, we want to be able to help folks, not just be healthy from a medical standpoint, but be healthy because they're engaged in their community or they're engaged in their family and able to do the things that make them happy. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm not a physician, but I think that that's what really helps folks to kind of live on and live healthy and wake up in the morning excited about what they have, what they have in front of them. So I think it's hard to, it's hard to decouple those two things. They're really kind of like the two strands of a, of a DNA that need to be together to work, work successfully.
0: How has, um, I'm just like kind of going back a number of years when I used to attend some of these conferences, but um how has technology really enabled, like what are some of the, the innovative technologies that you're able to use or deploy um, that make moving care into the home easier?
2: Yeah. Um really one of the biggest things that we've invested in as an organization um, is the actual, I'll call it like our clinical operating platform. That we use to deliver care, um, we've we've kind of built a homegrown um, system. We call it you we call it ubiquity, but what what it and it's hard to pigeonhole. It, it is an EMR, it's a care management platform, it's a CRM. It's kind of it, it's actually all of the above, and it's all seamlessly integrated. And what it's allowed us to do is really blend the delivery of medical care with population health, so that our medical groups understand how to treat, you know, Mrs. Smith when they're with her and in, in her home, but they also have all of the tools to understand the other, you know, several hundred folks in their panel or in their pod who they need to be thinking about. When do I need to see, you know, Mrs. Smith or Mrs. Johnson next, because my model is predicated, not, not just on doing, doing everything I can when I'm with a patient, but understanding which patients I need to see next to help them stay home and and stay stable. And so this platform's been able to integrate claims data. It integrates the clinical information that our providers are inputting into their uh, EMR during their visits. It integrates ADT feeds and other, other information that we receive from health systems and other partners in the community. To help us understand where there's rising risk in our population, and tools to actually help our providers understand, hey, I need to actually I need to go see Mrs. Smith again um, because we're we're starting to get some kind of signal um, that she could be she could be having you know uh, entering a risk a risky phase. So that's that's really where we've spent a lot of our time, in energy and and a lot of our training ability too to help take a team that you know grew up in fee for service medicine. And are entering this this new world of value based uh, medicine and the different ways you need to think about how you spend your time and how you see your, your patient panel. Um, but it's probably a little different than what you maybe were expecting me to say around remote patient monitoring and um, some of the those other technologies that you're seeing out there in the world. We're not against we've never been against them. We, we've actually just found that it's actually the population health tools that have driven the most value for us over over the years and where we've invested most of our um, most of our resources.
0: Yeah, given your model, that makes the most sense, right? I mean, you're doing this predictive analytics, um, throwing a buzzword, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're looking for that. um, um, you're, You're trying to be proactive. A lot of those other tools, like the remote monitoring, it's like you're you're almost being reactive. So you see something is wrong, and then you respond to it. Um, but in this way, it's more of a, a proactive um, use of technology. So um, we don't have a couple minutes left, um, but I w- I wanted to ask for you to look into your crystal ball, and uh, and tell me, you know, what do you think is sort of the future of home healthcare? If you were to look out five, seven years. You know, uh, uh, a couple things that I mentioned, John. I, this is the first is
2: not necessarily just related to home healthcare, but I think is an enabler of more care in the home happening in the future. I, I think that we're we are in a moment where we're going to see a tremendous amount of the healthcare dollar shift away from traditional health systems and kind of hospital centric organizations to community-based, you know, more primary care-oriented organizations. I think we're starting to see even some in some of the early innings of value-based care, but I think this kind of consolidation of all healthcare around acute hospitals that we've seen play out over the last three or four decades is going to slow, and the hospital will not be the facility through which revenue is generated and volume must be pushed to to a world where we say... You know, more primary care is the source of revenue and hospitals should be used, but they're they're actually going to be more of a cost center um than like the the revenue generator. Um and I think, you know, I, I may be in my own little island on that, but that's that's kind of something that I believe is 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 happening. I think it's we're starting to work early in the S curve seeing that happen today. But as that happens, I think it unlocks. Tremendous innov- opportunities for innovation, right? We're talking about the shifting of trillions of dollars, potentially, of healthcare dollars, sure. to like a different, a different, um, uh, a different part of the of a different value pool. So, so that's like one big, big shift that I think is happening. I, I think there's going to be a lot of innovation that happens around folks who are able to craft the business models that help support and enable um, those the shifting premium dollars. The the second to, more specific to home health, I, I really do think that we're we're in the early innings. Like I said, most of most of home health is still kind of that 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 first paragraph you read to us from your your health affairs article. I think that there's going to be a tremendous amount of innovation that comes to those traditional home health agencies. You know, there's there's uh, I want to say fifteen thousand or something home health agencies across the United States. I think there's they'll, there's likely to be consolidation that happens in that space and more shifting towards value-oriented care delivery. I think that we will start to see actual, you know, a lot of that re- remote patient monitoring and virtual care more closely coupled with healthcare delivery that's in the home. And I think that's kind of the missing piece that I haven't we haven't seen play out quite as much either, you know, during COVID, everyone was like, hey, virtual care is the future. I think really the virtual care is an enabler of the future where more care is delivered remotely and more, more close to patients and consumers in their home and building those connections versus saying, Hey, I'm a virtual care company, or I'm a home care company, really coupling those, those together to form that, that next capability in the home. That's you know, cost efficient, but highly clinically effective and obviously delights the consumer um, along the way. So maybe those are my two crystal crystal balls. Um, you'll have to hold me accountable in, in a couple of years.
0: Yeah, no, I think, I think those, uh, I would agree with both of those. So th- that's, that's some, some good insights. Um, Chris, thank you so much again for, for taking time out of your day. I think this is going to be, um, terrific. People are going to be surprised if they don't know landmark, they're going to be surprised at how successful that you're you you've become. And, um, and I, I hope we keep in touch and I wish you the, the best of success.
2: John, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure to speak with you and uh, look forward to staying in touch as well.
1: On behalf of all of us at Darwin Research Group, thanks for listening. Healthcare Rounds is produced and engineered by me, Sam Yates, with theme music by John Marchica. Darwin Research Group leverages the power of information to enhance human health by providing advanced market intelligence and in-depth customer insights to healthcare executives. Our strategic focus is on healthcare delivery systems and the global shift toward value-based care. Check us out at darwinresearch.com. See you next round!